Hey, Shalom, and welcome to Witcast. This is Rico Cortez from Wisdom and Torah Ministries. And, you know, today I have a very special guest. His name is Josh Tolley. He has a syndicated national uh, podcast. It's called The Josh Tolley Show. He's a friend of mine. He's also an amazing uh, person with a lot of gifts and abilities in the business end. He's a believer in the Messiah. He follows the Torah. And we're happy and delighted to have him with us. So, Josh, how are you, man? Blessings. How's it going? It is an honor to be with you, my friend. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm just happy to be here, and I'm so glad that you were able to to do this interview with me because, um, you know, I do follow uh, a lot of the stuff that you do and your podcast whenever I have some free time, but I'm also interested in your approach to, to business and how you are able to balance, um, you know, your faith in Yeshua and also the, the business end of it. Many people, when they, when they come into the knowledge of the Messiah, sometimes they don't know how to handle that because of the way we were taught. But before I want to get into that, I want to say hello to your wife, Brittany, and your brand-new six-month baby, Kalaya. Tell us about the name. That's kind of very unique. Uh, Kalaya, it, it is a unique name. Matter of fact, we looked it up, and there's like less than 10 uh, babies named Kalaya in the United States. It's, uh, it's a boy's name. It's, it's from the Bible, and it means voice of God. And we, we thought forever uh, that he was going to be a girl. So we had a girl's name picked out, and then, surprise, it was actually a boy. So we were just praying and praying and praying, and the name just kind of popped in, and it popped into more than one person's head. Wow, that's And we were good. like, well, that's just, I mean, who, who thinks Kalaya is a, just a random name? So we went with that, and he is he's living up to the name. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We 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 should have named him, you know, Shalom, peaceful, quiet, still voice of God or something. But uh, he's he's living up to it. But it, it's great, man. Fatherhood's amazing. You know, I tell you, when you uh, become a father, <clears throat> the tolerance and the patience that you never have, all of a sudden <laughs> now becomes relevant in your life. But I'm glad that you're doing good. You live in Missouri, don't you? Yep. Yeah, St. Louis, Missouri. I moved here after I met my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, lived in Wisconsin and Seattle and a uh, little ski town, uh, Vail, Colorado, for a while. But, yep, St. Louis is home now. That is awesome. Well, listen, man, I know your time is valuable. You have a lot of things going on. I won't take too much time of you, too much of your time. But, you know, what I'm interested in knowing is your approach to, you know, one of the things as a teacher, myself, as a Bible teacher, is that I try to keep my interests separate in a way because... Uh, it's understood because of the way um, the prosperity message in the Bible has taken root to the point that it has become a stumbling block and uh, because of the abuses of the leadership towards the people. So yeah. in my personal experience, what I try to do is I believe in the Lord to provide uh, because of ministry. And, and sometimes it's very difficult because we have needs, but at the same token, based on our past hurts. And I think that's something to be said because sometimes we don't move forward and become successful based on our past hurts. And, um, and as a minister, to encourage somebody to follow on a business plan, uh, my purpose is already defined when it comes to ministry. But what advice can you give people who are following Torah that want to become entrepreneurs, who want to become uh, business-oriented, but they're trying to find that balance that you have found? Uh, for me personally... Uh, I'm very happy with my role, and I just want to facilitate for others because the kingdom works with different gifts, and maybe this is not my focus. Maybe this is not something I'm looking for to be an entrepreneur, take away from my ministry, 
because a lot of ministers, they mix it all together and they abuse the people. So in my case, I'm focused. But how many people out there who want to become that and they feel a conflict because of the same hurts that they experience in the church? What would be your advice towards them? Well, I would say first we have to kind of go backwards a little bit and, and figure out how we got here. I mean, you're right. There's so many pastors, ministers, teachers who are trying to be entrepreneurs with their teaching. And it, it kind of, especially in our community, it kind of just creates this terrible, I guess, consequence for our actions. I mean, when, when somebody comes out with a teaching and that's what they're going to make their money off of, then they have to come out with another teaching the next time they need money. And it puts them in a very precarious situation where they start just making stuff up or they start getting sensational or they start getting, you know, fear-mongering with the prophetic, whatever they have to do, because now they need yet another teaching because bills are coming due again. Right. So there's there's a huge danger there. And mm. I, I think for a long time, especially in the American westernized sort of Christianity that's been out there, we've abused this this entire topic. I mean, and on one hand, you have prosperity gospel, the whole name it, claim it, buy my $100 handkerchief and bada bing, bada boom, you'll become a millionaire. Right. And then on the other side of things, because we hated that, we have the poverty gospel where we're like, well, money's not important at all and, you know, I'm just going to ignore it. And gone is the gospel. And God talks more about money than he does heaven. Yet we tend to avoid the topic because we really don't know how to address it. Well, also the, where, also the ahead. belief, also the, the trust in the leadership who will not take advantage of them. That's why I'm caught. Yeah. I'm caught right in the middle. It's like, look, I have needs like anybody else, but I have to just do my job and allow the Father to provide in everything for me. Because if I ask for something, people say, oh, there they go again. And they're, they're behaving on past hurts instead of seeing the heart and the fruit of the person who is ministering to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But here, here's the power of entrepreneurship, and this is why God talks about it. So if, if you look at our, our Jewish brothers and sisters, right, they are very well known for having money. <laughs> There's right. no, no doubt about that. They make up a tiny portion of the world's population, but they control a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a reason for that. Because in the Jewish community, a dollar will go hand-to-hand -hand in that community 12 to 14 times before it leaves that community and goes into the general population. Ah, explain that. That's very interesting. Well, and it's true. So let's say, let's say I'm, a, I'm a Jewish gentleman living in Detroit and I want to buy some shoes. I'm going to buy them from a Jewish shoe store. If there's not a Jewish shoe store, then I'm going to have my cousin start a Jewish shoe store, and that's where we're going to buy shoes. And the Muslims are also very good at this. Matter of fact, they're a little bit better. A Muslim dollar is 14 to 16 times inside that community before it leaves. And this is why both the Jewish people and the Muslim people throughout history have gotten to this very uh, interesting position where they can have 3 to 4% of the population but control the town. That's true. Because That's they're true. controlling entrepreneurship. Meanwhile, the, the modern Americanized Western version of this, the average believer puts zero transactions into place based on faith. Yeah. Instead, we go on, well, Walmart's having a sale on shoes, or I can get them on Amazon with my Prime membership. And we, we don't realize that God has given us money as a, as a tool, as a weapon. For goodness sakes, when, when the, the slaves left Egypt, he didn't say leave all the money behind. He said, loot this place, take it all. 
And then while they were gone, they were engaging in commerce with other travelers. There's, there's a method to what God has, has created. And when we ignore this topic and talk about either, you know, become a millionaire or whatever other sort of stuff is out there in the faith world, we actually ignore what God has to say about it. And he has so much to say about it, especially when we tell people that the Bible is for all instruction except what you're doing 40, 50 hours a week. Right. You know, you know that that's, that brings up a good point. And, and this is something that... I used to be involved in different types of stuff when it comes to business, and I always I look for the big uh, to to get ahead in life. I think I think the quandary here is not so much that we don't want to talk about the topic; it's just that we are reacting to hurts instead of having a plan yeah. of blessing. And uh, would you agree with me that the perception of a believer having success in business and having wealth? Uh, can sometimes be perceived as someone who along the way have to compromise their belief system to get to that wealth. And that's not necessarily the case in many instances. But the perception is that, well, if you held wealthy, so that means that you have to compromise on some belief system to get there. I think that's a problem that, you know, we have in our mindset coming from a Judeo-Christian background in which, like you said, I came up like that, uh, the poor men mentality. I remember, listen, let me give you a personal example. I got invited to this particular congregation, Spanish congregation. And it's not the people's fault because that's the way they've been trained. This is not a criticism on the race. But I know my race. So when I got to that congregation, the guy who took me, he goes, man, I hope they like it. I hope you get a good offering. And I looked around and, and I said, look, man, sadly, my Spanish community, the way the Spanish community is in that denomination, they are taught that the poorer you are, the more, more faith and the more righteous you are. And I said, look, all we're going to get is dollar bills. Because that's the way I used to be when I was in a Pentecostal movement. Sure enough, afterwards, they, we had like about $50 bills. He started laughing. How did you know? So not because the people are cheap. They're not. That's the way they've been taught. And I think breaking that mindset, that prosperity, the proper way, the biblical way, can go hand in hand with serving God is something that we need to work through and teach people. Absolutely. I mean, when we look at what he says in uh, in the Old Testament, he's talking about, he says, okay, it is I that gives you the power to create wealth, right? Uh-huh. And most pastors stop right there, but the sentence continues, and it says, as a sign of my covenant. Well, does the covenant still exist? Yes. Obviously. So, so does that. And from, from Adam tending to the garden— to Paul making talits and, and selling them, we see this model that he has given us from the beginning to the end of how to use, make, and control money. And the problem comes in is when we start saying, well, I don't need much, to me that's really just just showing a side of selfishness. I had a guy call my show, Rico, and he said, oh, Josh, you're, you're talking about entrepreneurship. And I do not talk about Ferraris, jets, yachts, none of that. Mm. None of it. I mean, I have met people who are entrepreneurs making $500 a week who are way happier than employees making 280 grand a year. It's all about where do you get your sustenance. Yes. And hopefully we dig into some of this. But my, my point with that is from beginning to end, he tells us how to make money. He tells us biblically there's only four types of people. You have masters, laborers, servants, and slaves. That's it. That's the only four categories. 
Well, a master we understand. He's the rich guy on top of the hill. The slave we understand. He's captive. He has no choice. But the other two we seem to mix up. When we look at a biblical servant, and you know this, when we look at a biblical servant, a servant, he would work a 10 to 12-hour shift, research says. Well, wait a second. When do we work? Mm -hmm. He would start his shift when his master told him, when do we have to go to work? Mm -hmm. His shift wasn't over until the master said, your day was done. If there's time to lean, there's time to clean. And if he saved up enough money, he could buy his freedom. Right. Well, we do the same thing today. We call it retirement. Right. Oh, if I could just save up enough money. Well, then Yeshua comes along and he says, no, 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 no. What you're supposed to be is a laborer. And a laborer is what we today call an entrepreneur because he uses them in a parable, right? There's these two dudes on the field, and he doesn't say dudes, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing. There's these <laughs> okay. two dudes on the field, and then these other guys come up, and these other guys negotiate and get the same rate as the people who are there. And it's a, it's a parable to explain, you know, those who come to salvation of Yeshua near the end get the same reward. Totally got it. But why does he use that example? Because that's an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur would say, okay, Rico, you need your your fence painted. I'll do it for $200. I'll start Tuesday at 10, and when I'm done, I'm done. Right. Well, that's an entrepreneur, and God tells us to be that. And then in Matthew, he says you cannot be a servant to God and money. Not that it's a sin. He says you can't do it. It's impossible. Well, if you really look at it, a lot of us are serving money through our poverty. We have this mindset somehow that servants to money are the rich people. Servants were the people who didn't have anything. Yeah. You, do you so know, we do you, are becoming servants to money through our poverty and through employment. Because the average family today, a husband and wife, spends 19 minutes together. So you're telling me that your father in heaven put you together with your wife in order to spend 19 minutes with her, but yet you're out working 40, 50 hours a week for the very thing you tell me didn't matter at all because it's not that important. Right. Something is wrong with us. Well, you know you know that. It's, it's interesting because um, 90% of fight within a marriage, I'm talking about people who are not in a covenantal relationship, but even in covenantal relationship, uh, I, I like to say that 90% of a lot of the arguments come because of lack of money, lack of resources, lack of, yes. of things that they can uh, allow them to have certain freedom. So we, so would you say then, based on what you're describing, that even though we are believers in the Messiah, we're following the Torah, but we're still taking the bait of the world system and we still enslave ourselves when God has given us the freedom in order to be a kingdom, kingdom mindset. Yeah, I would, I would take it a step further and, and say the Torah instructs us to be entrepreneurs, not employees. It actually warns us not, not to be employees. And when, when you talk about the, the reasons for divorce, you're right. The top four are um, communication, sex, money, and infidelity. Right. Well, if we look at communication, how are you supposed to have good communication in 19 minutes? Yeah. So in this generation, we have books like The Five Love Languages and Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus and Pillow Talk, Understanding Your Spouse. And all these books are good. But think about this for a second. Why did our grandparents not need those books? Why did our great-grandparents not need those books? Why all the way back to Adam and Eve did we not need those books? Because until 1913 or thereabouts, the entire planet was entrepreneurship-based. That's true. But you know, the wisdom of God in the Sabbath, he provides for us 
the double yes. blessing so that we can be spending quality time doing the feast times and the Sabbath with our family. And, and that really, you know, listen, I, you're bringing a really good po- uh, a point here that I that I stayed away from teaching because I don't want to be accused of the typical, you know, oh, there they go again talking about money. So I let the Father just provide, and I'm perfectly happy with that. But let me tell you something, man. Ever since I got my life in order, like 20 years ago following the Torah, uh, the, the prosperity in the sense of family quality life with my family, yep. my relationship with my children, and clearly the relationship with my creator have increased because I've been able to put in certain principles into daily practice. And uh, one of them is how do we handle our money? We don't have to be rich to have millions of dollars to be free. And I Amen. think that's the trap that we think that success is. How, I used to be a professional baseball player. You knew this. Yes. And I was always trying to acquire a name so I could be famous so I could have millions of dollars, so I could so-called help my mom and dad. That was my purpose. I wanted to help my parents. In the meantime, I started struggling in the minor leagues for a little bit, and I was so stressed out because if I get released, I could not help my mom and dad. And I remember having a conversation with my mom. I called her, and I was really down, and she knows me so well. She goes, what's going on? I began to, basically at that moment, I'm losing my career. I start to cry. And I said, well, I reach here, I'm here, I'm freaking out, I'm not doing well, all I want to do is provide for you. And my mom says, son, the fact that you are a good man, and the fact that you are doing your passion, I'm perfectly happy with that. Here I was yep. putting myself a pressure on something that it wasn't, it wasn't even on her radar. Now, would you agree with me on this? That if we put this uh, biblical principles, because the Bible says that we will loan to nations, we will not borrow. Yep that then we are so worried about our next meal and we're not believing in God to put into practice the gifts that he has given us as a kingdom. Oh, man, absolutely. That, absolutely, yes. I, I hear people all the time saying, oh, I, I could never do that. And I said, well, wait a second. I thought you told me you were a believer. You know, <coughs> what about all these scripture about, you know, all things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. You know, every mm-hmm. Christian since birth memorizes that one. So basically you're telling me not that you don't think you can do it. You don't think God could do it. Mm-hmm. But let me, let, me, let me give you a couple examples about how living a Torah life even amplifies this. So me and my wife are Torah observant, mm-hmm. and we get invited to speak at conferences and stuff like that. So we go to this conference with a bunch of well-known Christian pastors. I'm actually the only person on the speaking uh, lineup that's not a pastor. So the, the event starts. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. And we have a table because all the, all the uh, speakers get a table. And we have a table in the back. And there's a sheet over our table that says closed for the Sabbath. You know, we'll be open. uh, It was after the last segment was sundown. So it it just said we'll be open after the last uh, segment on Saturday. Right. And we had all these people come up to our booth saying, well, wait a second. What? And it, and it provided us this opportunity to actually give a, a, a testimony on Torah. Right, right. And we had people saying, well, I thought that was done away with. And I said, if you can prove to me how that's been done away with, I will give you a $100 bill right now. And <laughs> okay. nobody took me up on it. But what they did do is they said, well, wait a second. If it hasn't been done away with, then why are all these other pastors open? And we said, great question. Go ask them. Uh-huh. We come back the next year because we did it again. This, this time... 
the word spread. So you had some pastors who were actually closing their tables too for Sabbath. <laughs> I had, uh, I had a, a, a business client of mine. He, he is he's in retail, and you know from a from a business standpoint, we, we help anybody, right? But he knew I was a Torah keeper, so I would meet with him, and he'd ask about you know why don't you eat pork and all that just sort of stuff. And I just got the opportunity to kind of spread my faith. And one day he was asking me about the Sabbath. And I said, well, that's why I don't talk to you on Saturdays. You know, like, we right. keep the Sabbath. And he says, well, I think I should keep the Sabbath, but in retail, my busiest day is Saturday. Saturday. yeah. And I said, you know what? You listen to, to him, not me. I'm not your boss. Hashem is. So you deal with him. But if he's talking to you, listen. Right. So the next month I, I go meet with him, and he says, well, we've decided to shut down for the Sabbath. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The, you know, people are, are coming to Torah because they're seeing it lived out. And so they decide to shut down and they have this internal family fight and all that sort of stuff. But he shuts down. He calls me the, the next week. He says, Josh, I think I made a mistake. I mean, we're losing money, man. I mean, this is terrible. The next week, oh my gosh, Josh, we're, we're bleeding. I, I don't know if I should do this. And I told him, I said, look, he will bless you mm-hmm. if you're obedient. Right. And he wants to know, did you mean it? That's true. <laughs> would would That's you true. still keep it if you lost everything? Right. So they made the decision to keep it no matter what. And then after the first month, he calls me and says, Josh, I've been in business 40 years. I never had a month like I had last month. We broke every record. The next yeah. month, we broke that record. And his business has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger because right. he's obs- you know, Do you know that? Here's where... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Chick-fil-A, Chick, if we're going to use that example, out of all the Christian organizations that I know that they say they keep the Sabbath, uh, the, the, Sabbath the Sunday, as rest, I don't agree with the theology, but every sure. position they've taken that is actually, uh, like, for example, against gays and things like that, you know, and they're the only ones that close their stores on Sunday. And, you know, as a business... At least people know whether they're keeping the commandment or not as irrelevant. Because we know Sunday's not the day. But the point is, the point is that people know right. that they're committed to what they believe. And they respect it, even though they may not agree with their theology. And they have not lost any business. They're full every other time of the week. Oh, not only that. The news just came out that they're the most per-location profitable franchise out there. Right. And then there's this, there's just this reality. And yeah, they need to continue to, you know, read the front of the book. But That's there's right. this reality where if you try, Hashem will meet you. Right. But you know, and, but but the the point that I'm trying to make that I think I want to make clear is that I think the reason why they're having so much success is because they see that even if they're doing, let's say for example, we know they're wrong in regards to Sunday being as a day of rest. We know that. We know that. Right. But in the Christian world, people are not stupid. They go like, wait a minute. They're the only Christian organization that actually does what the Christian theology teaches. And that creates a credibility within them that they're actually fine, uh, be, uh, doing what they believe. That's not necessarily yep. our views. And that's the point about you, that talking about the Sabbath and honoring God. By the way, I guarantee you that on those conferences you went to, your sales never lacked because people wanted to know you more. You are absolutely right. Matter of fact, we make the most out of all the other presenters. I'm not kidding. And we would have done it even if we didn't. But at yeah. the end of the, the event, everybody kind of tallies up. And, yeah, every time, every single time, because he's he's faithful. He's right. absolutely faithful. But that, that ties back into even this idea of why I promote entrepreneurship so much. Because think about this. 
when we read about, you know, you shouldn't be unequally yoked, too often we equate that to marriage, and it applies, and that's great. But yoke is a work term. The reason why two oxen could not be equally yoked, I, I'm sure you know this, but mm -hmm. if, if one oxen was too fast or too slow, it would actually break the neck of the other one. Right. Well, if, if, if you're a Torah believer... Are you equally yoked to your employer? Right. Did you even ask them if they have a, a belief in, in anything? Or did you just answer the ad on Craigslist? And I have so many believers, and I'm using air quotes if you could see me. Uh -huh. I have so many believers say, well, you know, I, I, I work a job and I'm a strong believer, but I'm, I'm praying that God gives me a raise at work. Well, I'm sorry. In order to believe that, you would have to believe that the Almighty would bless your boss in his sin in order to give you the raise. And that is just not theologically sound. But because we don't teach what the Torah teaches when it comes to how to make money, we have all these people out there saying, well, I'll believe in him for food uh, and on, on the, the, the Moadim, the, the feast days and, and Sabbaths. Uh -huh. But I'm not going to believe in anything else. Yeah. And that's ridiculous. So when it comes to, because you see, there has to be a counterbalance. There has to be a counterbalance as to how do we address the issue of prosperity within the Torah-based community without having to fleece the flock, uh, because that's what they're used to. And I think that this is not my area of study. I mean, I didn't even know we were going to get into this topic. When I talked to you, I said, what is the one thing that you like talking about or that you're passionate about? And you began to tell me about this. And I thought, you know, I think it's time that we have a balance in how to handle success and prosperity within the realm and the obedience of the Torah. So I don't know. I haven't asked you this before, but what will be, be you, you clearly successful in what you do? So we have to follow a blueprint and a model. Um, sure. And what will be your advice for those people out there who are listening who fear the Lord? They want to be financially free. They don't even know how to budget themselves in order for them to be out of debt. And how can we handle our faith in Messiah, not love the money before, before God, but understanding that the money becomes a, a tool in order for us to you know, either reach people or help others do righteousness and justice? What will be your steps if I were to ask you? And you, do, you do conferences on this, don't you? You do a lot of. I do. Yep, I, I absolutely do, and I'm not here to sell any of those. But yeah, you're right. I do. Well, make sure you uh, give us your website and all that after we're done. So if, if some of them are interested, uh, we want to endorse do those in the kingdom who can help the kingdom improve in their financial situation. I think it's important. I think it's important too. But I, I, I think first it starts with leadership. Leadership can't be afraid of this topic. What has to happen is the the people who are in leadership don't need to fleece the flock. I mean, th th there's a guy, uh, a Torah-teaching pastor in Texas, who actually is a billionaire, right? He has made all of his wealth outside of the flock, uh -huh. so now he can deliver a message without having to worry about ramifications. Right. This is exactly what Paul did when he wanted the to hell it blue thread. So there's, there's a reality of we have to start addressing it as leaders. We can't ignore it and just say, okay, because Creflo Dollar or whoever, whoever, is teaching some sort of weird, wacky prosperity thing, we're going to ignore it. Because the other part of this, Rico, is people are dying. See, this, is, this is where my experience comes in. We have people who are killing themselves. Suicide now kills more people than traffic accidents. Yeah. The number one cause of suicide is money. 
Wow, didn't we I know that. Fifty to sixty percent divorce rate. The number one reason for divorce, like you said, is money. We have people who are who are on uh, on, on drugs. <clears throat> you can look at two income earning family homes, and you can graph it out. Ever since moms started going back to work in the in the late sixties, yeah. the increase of drug use, teen pregnancy, abandonment goes up too. So right. this isn't really about money as much as it's about holy cow. Are we not going to live the way he told us to live? True. I mean, so, uh, when I when I teach the temple and I study how the God has blessed Israel and how reciprocity had to become part of the core uh, foundation of Israel as a kingdom, and and this is what I saw like in the late sixties, early seventies, that the pressures of living a lifestyle cre- created. A rift in the family structure, thus creating havoc for generations to come. When you would have a one person earning the right amount of money, then the wife could be doing her role in her house. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have equal access to work on it. That's not the point. The point is that you destroyed the the family environment. Now the woman has to work on a role that she probably never thought out before. And that society the last 40 years has been forced to do that anyway. Not to say that women do not have a good place to work. I think you know what I mean. But, um, yeah. Yeah, the- and, and, but, but here, here's the problem. Even that goes back to employment versus entrepreneurship. Right. When our grandparents were raising a family, yes, grandma worked. She was that Proverbs 31 woman, That's right? right. That's right. But they worked together. Yes. The husband and the wife work together. What happens now, and I'm so glad you brought that up, what happens now is the wife will put on her pretty clothes, she'll put on her makeup or perfume or whatever, she'll go to work, usually with or for a man, where she will see that man be decisive, make decisions, be bold, she will help meet him in that objective. Where is the number one place women have an affair? Workplace. Work! But I thought the Bible said flee temptation. Right. I get. I hear and you. Then, There's no protection. And do the exact same thing. They go away 40, 50 hours a week, work with or for a woman, where he, the same thing happens over there. The number one place a man has an affair is at work. You are statistically more likely to have an affair at work than you are at a strip club. Yet yeah. what do we do? We actually teach our kids, go to school, go to college, get good grades, and get a job. Mm-hmm. That is death on a stick. It is contrary to what the Bible actually teaches us from Genesis to Revelation. And that is where this has to change. And to get back to how how do we actually teach this, we used to teach it. I have a textbook on the shelf behind me from 1929. Chapter 1 is setting up your business. Right. We used to teach in every synagogue and every church and every school in this country. Once you leave school, you start a business. And it's really not that hard. People today think, well, I couldn't do that. I don't know enough. I'm not bold enough. I don't have a product. Entrepreneurship doesn't work that way. Too often we confuse small business ownership with entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship works for everybody. If you really think about it, Everybody knows somebody who's been to prison, right? Yep. And in prison, there is that guy who can get you the girly magazine, That's the right, smokes, right? candy bar, or whatever. Yeah. You're telling me that this dude can be an entrepreneur under 24-hour guard in an 8 by 8 steel box, and you're telling me with the help of Hashem you can't? I mean, come on. I didn't think about that. That is so true. And you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, 
we're not handling the blessings God has given us the right way. We're being like the uh, like the uh, the pro, uh, the parable of the bad uh, manager. You know, um, you have the the talents. So yes. the question, okay. So you're making a lot of sense to me. I have a role. I'm in a different situation because I, I, my son, I have my my youngest. He's an entrepreneur. He he likes to he likes to have business, and I've always did too. But again, because in my case, as a minister and as a teacher of the Bible, I, I, I'm trying to fi find that balance in which, you know, I'm focused on what God called me to do. Because we all did that. In the, in the temple, that's what we study. Temple, we study uh, order, uh, roles, and everybody has a job. Everybody has a function. Um, the businesses, everyone was an agriculture society, so they all had exchange and entrepreneurship between each other. You needed bar uh, barley. You needed wheat. You needed oil. You needed uh, bread. You needed this. You needed cattle. You needed that. So they all have to help one another. You're right. The dollar goes a long way when you build the kingdom. My role is clear Uh, how can we encourage someone else to bring their two cents into the kingdom and use their gifts? How do we encourage them that it is okay to prosper within the realm of Torah without having to feel shame that the Lord is blessing you and you don't have to compromise your, 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 your principles on the Torah in order to be successful? Well, we have to do it like our Jewish brothers and sisters do it and make it part of our culture. See, we've, we've kind of, in an Americanized Western world, we've separated the two. We've, we, we've separated what we do from our faith. Even, even with what you were saying, there is no reason, and I'm going to give you an example. I purchased a hot dog cart, right? Uh -huh. I never sold a hot dog out of it, ever. I rented it to other people who wanted to sell hot dogs. Well, if I was a pastor, what that means is my ministry could be supported by my entrepreneurial effort of renting out the hot dog. It requires zero work on my part, but now my ministry continues to grow whether people give or not. Right. Too often we think, well, what do I do as a business owner? Well, that's going to require me to do it. No, I own a semi truck I've never even been in, but I get my or I get money for every mile it drives. So we have to get back to that where, where we teach it as just part of our culture. You do not see in, in Jewish synagogues across the country, okay, people, let's have a marketplace ministry. You don't see in, um, in Muslim places of worship, you don't see them saying, okay, well, Bob over here is an entrepreneur, but this guy's not. No, everybody is. It is just part of your culture as a believer. Which means, I mean, let, let me give you another example. The Indians from India, they have a wonderful system called a chitty. Yeah. Where every month, let's say you have 100 people. Every month, everybody puts in $100. Well, that's $10,000. Yeah. So this month, when Bob needs to buy a gas station, and I'm not trying to be stereotypical. This is an actual true story. Yeah. We have a business partner named David in Chicago who's Indian. When, when Bob needs to buy a gas station, that $10,000, bam, he gets a gas station. Now, next month, when Sally is going to open up a dry cleaner, bam, $10,000 to open the dry cleaner. And the community itself 
builds itself on the foundation of being an entrepreneur. Even to the point where there's there's evidence that suggests in the first century, the Torah observant believers, in order to create that quorum, those those ten believers, they had had so many who were entrepreneurs, so that assembly never had to worry about donations the, because the donations went to the Levites. But you still had to support the assembly, right. and that came through entrepreneurship. Right? Do you know that I got, I lived in Venezuela for six years, and I lived in a very small little town. Uh, it was so small that it had no um, no traffic lights, okay? But I witnessed in the three years that I lived there, Chinese people take over all the pharmacies and all the supermarkets within three years. So it's exactly what you just said. There, there was one family working for a Venezuelan owner of a supermarket. So this family lived in one apartment, and they all worked for this guy. Well, within, within seven months, they bought the supermarket they were working for. But they didn't hire any uh, Venezuelans to work in the supermarket. They got their family members to work. Another year, their family members, they're owning the pharmacies and the other supermarket. And by within three years, they owned the three supermarkets and the four pharmacies within that yep. small town. It was incredible. Yep. Well, and then even here in America, even here in America, you know, there's this idea of white privilege, and just because you're white, somehow you get a check or something. I, I don't know how the heck they get that. Drive through Appalachia, but but here's <laughs> the point: white people in America don't even make up the most successful demographic. Indians do. Right. One in seven Indians is a millionaire. Why? Because of what you just described. Well, then white people are number two, right? Nope. Next are Chinese people because of what you just described. Next come um, Southeast Asians like Laos and Vietnam right. because of what you just described. The culture, too. The, the Yes, because it is part of the culture, and that answers your question. How do we teach it? We don't teach it as a separate topic. We teach it as part of, well, if you're a Torah believer, this is what the Torah culture is, so let's just engage in it. Well, I think that the problem that we have is that we are so focused, we live in a society of hurt people, hurting people. And we, uh, you know, Anthony Robbins said something a long time ago in one of the, uh, the DVDs that he has. I listened to him from 88 all the way to like 2000. And he said something that really was profound for me back then. He said, the past does not equal the future. And I use that to this day. We can allow our past to determine our future because if that was the case, then Israel would still be walking around like slaves as if they were in Egypt and everywhere they've been, right. they prospered. But one of the things that we're talking about is something that I've been reading a lot in the Gospels and also the letters of Paul, Josh, is that the concept of reciprocity in the first century was very important. Reciprocity was huge. And that's something that we do not understand today. Today, we don't know what reciprocity is. Uh, we want things from people, but we don't want to give back. And that, that, there lies the problem. We Okay, for example, if I'm going to help you succeed, then I'm hoping that you will help someone else succeed. And ministries have become everything to one place. And right. we're not helping others. I think that when we help each other as a kingdom, like they did in the first century, the kingdom worked like that. By the way, I do believe, if we think about it, uh, in the temple and in Israel, uh, the only way Israel can self uh, to, to exist at that time, uh, in the time of oppression by the Persians, Babylonians, is to do the kingdom work and to be reciprocal with one another, making their businesses grow by providing for each other's needs based on what they did. But, okay, Josh, if you don't know your role, 
and you're always competing for my role. How can we help each other, the kingdom, grow? That's the problem. We don't understand our roles, so we can never have a place in the kingdom to be an entrepreneur on. Everybody wants to do the same thing, too. Well, and, and we see that when, and then that's one of the things I deal with on a daily basis. We see that because we don't teach entrepreneurship, when people leave, they all want to do the same thing. And we see that in faith, right? Every pastor wants to have an internet ministry now and, yeah. you know, whatever. The Catholics, even though they're crazy, yeah. the Catholics actually did this part right, where the person didn't matter as much as the position, they literally just elect whoever was in the top of this thing. It doesn't matter. Well, what they knew that they needed to do, though, was to keep the culture and the position, or as you said, the job. Right. Well, that's what we've abdicated. We've now said, well, I want to have a famous ministry, and I want to have a famous ministry, or even if it's not faith, I want to be famous on Instagram. No, I want to be famous on Instagram. Yeah. And it translates even to some of the stuff that I see you post on Facebook. When we talk about politics— so during the last presidential election, I was speaking at a lot of churches and synagogues and, you know, assemblies and stuff. And people would ask me if they were millennials, Josh, can you explain to my parents why Yeshua was a socialist? So really? And at, and at first I thought, well, that was a joke, right? Right. But then it happened again and again and again. But what happened is we have become an employment-based economy. Right. And in an employment-based economy, we all have to fight for the same job. Yeah. In an entrepreneurship-based economy, the economy is infinite. It is literally limitless. So we don't have to compete for the same job. Well, that you know, that is so true because... Every single, like for example, I used to be a baseball coach when I was in baseball, right? And one guy um, asked me a question about, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Well, I went through that. When I got released by the Yankees, I remember sitting in a dugout for about two or three hours, throwing a ball against the wall, trying to figure out, wait a minute, since I was three years old, all I did was practice and my only focus was to play baseball. Now I don't have that. So what am I going to do? So this is what I did. I got a job at a cleaner's. All right. I was miserable. So I went back to the dugout because I was getting 95 bucks a week. Now, think about that from professional baseball to ninety five dollars a week. So I go back to the to that dugout that I was at and I begin to throw the ball again on the wall. And I'm thinking, this is not working. What do I do? What is my gift? What can I do? Hey, I could teach baseball to kids. I could charge 20 bucks an hour and I could do this within a week. I was making one hundred dollars a day. So I remember one Monday morning, one weekend, I wasn't following Torah, one weekend I made $500. Now think about this, 500 bucks. But I worked all day Saturday back in the day when I wasn't following Torah and all day Sunday. I developed group rates. I did whatever it took, right? And uh, on Monday morning, I'm getting up at 7.30 to go to my $95 a day job. And I remember I looked at my wife and I said, wait a minute, you know, it makes no sense. Why would I want to go all week long to do a job that I'm getting paid 95 bucks when I just made 500 in two days? I quit on the spot and I began my own business that I was making like $1,200 a week just teaching kids because I knew my gift. I put it into a practice. Many people don't yep. know their gifts, Josh. We need to get them to understand what their gifts are. But if they're competing for the same thing, they're never going to find out what they're good at. Absolutely. Absolutely. So sometimes what I do with some of our classes, and I did this down in Florida by you, 
I'll, I'll, I'll take students out and I'll say, okay, to show you how easy this actually is, because sometimes we overthink this. We think we need business plans and CPAs and SBA loans. I said, to show you how easy this actually is, leave your phone, your wallet, everything in the van, and let's pretend we're homeless. Now, by tonight, don't be. And you can look it up on YouTube. I'm up on, uh, we, we took this class out, uh-huh. and by lunch, we started four businesses and made $45,000 by lunch. Okay. So this idea of, well, it's not for everybody, or I can't do that, or that that's the part that has to go away. We have to get back to this place where we understand if we were instructed to do it, he's going to give us the ability to do it. So it- he also assists with it because <clears throat> I'm going to tell you something else. We just picked up a business that cash flows, right? I mean, it, it, it's doing hundreds of thousands a year, and I'm not saying this to brag because yeah. this is all Hashem. But we just bought that business for one dollar. Wow! Because we went in there, and the lady's like, "Man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm thinking about closing." And I said, "Well, what if we could take it over? You'll keep your position, and everybody wins." And she's like, "Yes, absolutely." Well, we talked to the lawyer, and the lawyer said, no, there has to be some exchange. So we agreed on a dollar, but now I own the business for a buck. And it's all because, I kid you not, she was praying that morning for Hashem to bring somebody who's a believer to help her out of the problem. So maybe she wasn't the one that was capable of owning it, but she was gifted to run it. Right. Maybe she couldn't handle that pressure of owning the business, but maybe she can handle the pressure of running uh, the business because they're two different things altogether. When you own something, like, for example, Wisdom into Our Ministries, you know, is something that we have to run it in a way that is, that is accountable, that we can, uh, uh, you know, meet our needs, not our wants, but our needs. At the same token, we help a lot of people. You know, homeless ministries, Venezuela. We do a lot of things because that's our that's our calling, and we have to have the tools to teach. But not everybody can run it. You follow what I mean? People can run yeah. it. You need a manager to run it. I just teach. You follow? And uh, so this is yeah. go, it goes back to the point I'm trying to make that if we do not understand our roles, one of the things that I learn in the temple studies, and I keep bringing that up because that's the best example, and you know this. It's like in the temple, everybody had a job. You got yes. bakers. If you have a baker. You need flour. So then you're going to, who's going to, who's going to, you know, do the agriculture to provide the flour? And then you have to have the guys working to pick it up. Then you're not going to have the guys, you know, coming over and bringing it over. Then you're going to have to have, I mean, you providing jobs just because you have a need in one particular place. We're no longer thinking like that. We are sitting back. Well, God is going to give us. He'll work on our behalf. And he gives us the strength and the wisdom and the know-how and the instructions in the Torah in order to do so. Now, imagine this, Josh. Can you imagine if the Jubilee laws were still in place today? What would that do? Shemitah, seven-year release. Imagine, I mean, how happy would you be if he owed $100,000 and somebody out of the blue says, I paid it all for you? Yep. Right? Yep. And, and and don't even get me started on how anti-Torah usury is, because that's right. a whole, whole other topic. But you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I hear all the time that same objection. Well, God will provide, God will provide. And I say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, just like he does for the sparrow. But no sparrow gets to sit in his nest and all of a sudden, poof, birdseed shows up in his gut. <laughs> exactly. He still has to go out and get what has been provided. Right. 
Hey, I have to do that. I mean, I believe the Lord provides. Yeah, he provided a door for me to go teach somewhere. I got to get on yeah. the plane and get there. I got to do my best. Be honest. Teach about my heart for the Lord. Do what he called me to do. And then the, let, the, let the Lord move the heart of the people to, to give a donation because I don't have a fee. You know what I mean? But, yeah. and, but And the reason why I don't have a fee is because the moment you set a fee, then that gives people the right to tell you what they want you to talk about. And, right. and, and I, I, I serve the ma- I serve only my master. So therefore, but again, this is the thing. If, if we do not have that balance and believing in God is acting upon the gift he gives you and make it prosperous and successful, not compromising, compromising your gift to edify other people, Josh, we're no yep. longer doing things to help others. We're doing it to gain or for ourselves. And maybe that's why we're not growing. Yep. And, and I'm telling you, this this meeting between what we believe and then putting it into action, we can't say it's just on Shabbat. We can't say it's just because I'm not eating a pig. It has to be in what we do, and what we do is what takes up most of our time. So, uh, for example, it, it, it serves as a testimony. Uh, we have this new business we just picked up. Uh, we got it right around Halloween. We said, okay, we don't do the Halloween thing, so that's coming down. Uh, then it was, you know, do we decorate for Christmas? Oh, absolutely not. That's uh-huh. coming down. <laughs> but that then led to a bunch of questions. Right. Well, I thought you were a believer. I am. Let me explain to you what this means. Well, I did, did, don't you read the Bible? Yes. So let me tell you what it actually says. And our ability to live it out through business has been way more productive for leading people to Yeshua, to Torah, than any tract I've ever handed out, any copy of a DVD I've ever handed out, any time I just went and preached on a corner, because they see it. And Yeshua said, if you don't understand the earthly, you're not going to understand the heavenly. Well, when we put this into practice, people see it in the earthly, and then they want to know what you know about the heavenly. Man, I, you know, that is so true. And I, I've always been interested in pursuing um, other stuff, uh, things that I think I'm passionate about. For example, I do self-defense seminars, and I used to do that all over the place. And, and it's something that now I put in the back burner because I don't want to compromise my relationship and let something else take its place. But I think that if we balance it out, in which our lives is balanced with family, with God, and then family second, um, we can handle those things and still be successful without having to compromise the truth. I think it's the balance of where where do we draw the line? Because you got to remember, Josh, you may have a handle of that balance, but it's like someone who goes on the, for example, the jackpot. They win. Uh, a stupid amount of millions of dollars and then they go from the basement to the penthouse within less than 10 years they they squandered everything and now they're miserable and now they've gone back to their circumstance because they were not equipped to handle to grow in their success i submit to the audience and to you that the torah is teaching us how to grow in that success it teaches you how to manage money Leviticus 26 yes. tells you if you have a need, you know, you can use your need. Just make sure you give 20% back, you know. Uh, you you got to pay it back. But at least you can, if you're the person in need, you can use it. And this, yep. the church system doesn't teach you that. The church system teaches you even if you go with elect, without electricity in your house, without food, you still have to give the money here. And they're not teaching people how to be 
self-sufficient and how to be accountable with their with their blessings. And I think that maybe that's your role to teach the kingdom how to do that. Well, perhaps it is. Perhaps it is. And and I am honored if if he decides that's what my role is. And but going back to that idea, that's why we're missing the number one opportunity for outreach because people are, are coming in to whether it's a seminar or, a, or a, an assembly or wherever, but they, they come to the body and they say, help me, help me. My wife left. My daughter's pregnant. I'm thinking about killing myself. Whatever the problem is, you go to any church, listen to 10 prayer, prayer requests. Nine of them are going to be tied to finances and employment. That's true. So they come in and say, help me, and we say, oh, no, 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 just do the same thing you've been doing. Slap a cross on it, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, that's not true. Right. Even Yeshua said, what good is it to say, bless you, if send them on the gold, and you don't give them a coat? That's true. He always fed them. Then he preached to them. Well, he healed them. Then he preached to them. Amen. There has to be a meeting of the physical need first, which opens the heart or opens the door to the outer courts that allows them to then receive what's inside. I agree. I agree. But I think the problem that we're seeing today that I'm very concerned about, that instead of focusing exactly what you just said and mentioned, uh, the movement has become like a eating on candy, overloading on sugar with conspiracy theories and, and crazy speculative things that they lost their direction and focus of what our true calling is. And that's why, by the way, with all the chaos going on in the United States and everything that's happening right now, uh, we have no voice. Who in the Hebrew Roots movement, other than a few guys that I may know, or even Messianic, have the influence to even approach, you know, politicians? I can only think of one, Jonathan Can. you know, that's the only one that I could think of uh, within teachers. But yet, right. we don't have a voice anywhere. Here we are focusing on uh, weird topics. Some people were uh, focused on weird topics. Uh, right now there's abortion going like crazy, murder in the womb, and we don't have a voice in mainstream America. Wh why is that? Because we don't have the access. And the sad truth in this country is if you have no resources and if you don't have that money, you don't have, an, you don't have a voice. That's pretty sad, isn't it? That, you well, know, it is. It is, and, and just uh, on that tangent, I think the reason why the new Torah believers are so quick to believe in conspiracies and stuff, because I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and there's a ton of it, but I think the reason for that is because they realized on the biggest part of their life, their faith, there was a legitimate conspiracy. Right. So as weird as it is, I, I, I can understand why it is. I mean, once you start learning, holy cow, you mean Constantine changed Sinai? Oh, of course, like, yes. You mean his mom determined this was the wrong road? You mean Easter is actually this pagan god? Whatever it is, right? Right. So they learn, holy cow, there really was a conspiracy of biblical proportions. What else might have been hidden from me? Right, I got and you. And I, I think as new believers, they go through a period where they all kind of go down that road and, you know, next thing you're talking about moon landings or whatever. whatever yeah. Thing is. And, you know, and I think that's the process of growth and development. And, man, the hours have gone by so fast, Josh. Um, you know, <laughs> I the, and I got to be honest with you, this is a topic that I've stayed away from because personally, I like to think that I want to get ahead and do things the right way. But because of ministry, we I want to make sure that I stay focused on the calling God has given me. I think that it's something you may consider maybe equipping the kingdom and helping the people understand that it is okay to understand and be prosperous and, you know, and pro prosperity the proper way. And 
this may be one thing that you can help the kingdom understand in its proper balance. Um, as for me, though, however, you know, I need to learn these principles because I have a family. I'm 52 now. I'm getting older. And the reality is that I don't really have a retirement. <laughs> you know, I, I, my retirement is believing in the Lord. But at the same token, he has given us the strength, like you said, to 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 plan and to do the right thing. But before yeah. we have to go, sadly, we have to head out of here. But please tell us how people can get in touch with you. Uh, give us your information and uh, anything, sure. any courses that you have in the some of the areas that they can go to. Please let us know so we can, you know, announce it for you. And hopefully, some of the people in the kingdom can, you know, go and assist and and, and support it. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you having me on today. And yeah, people can uh, go to joshtully.com. That's J-O-S-H-T-O-L-L-E-Y.com. They can also go to purplemonkeygarage.com. That's uh, kind of the business we run trainings through and stuff. But I, I, And I really want to make this very clear. We make most of our money not doing these trainings. So unlike people who are now dominating Instagram and YouTube, nope, this is not how we make the bulk of our money. So yeah. even if you have to go to the library and get it for free, absolutely do it. But I have a book out on this topic. It's called Evangelpreneur. And it's just the mix of the word evangelism and entrepreneurship. Right. Yeah. Um, evangelpreneur. Definitely get that book because it outlines what a lot of uh, you and I have talked about today. Even if you have to go get it for free, go get it. Man, I really appreciate you, your time. I know you're quite busy, and it's an honor for me to develop a relationship with you and also to learn from you. I have two kids. Um, eventually, pretty soon here, I'm going to have some grandkids. So we have to start thinking about the future and learn from the lessons of our forefathers that Abraham was very successful and yep. he was a great man of faith uh, as well as everyone else in the Bible. So I think if we finally get away from our Western mindset and trying to learn the Eastern culture, we will see that there's nothing wrong with being an entrepreneur as long as we make the Lord our God the center of our life. Thank you, Josh, for being with us. It is a pleasure. Please, for every single one of you who are listening, go to Josh Tolly Show and that come, right? No, just joshtolley.com. No, com. Check it out and listen to his podcast. It's called Josh Tolley Show. And it's yes. every day from uh, Monday and Friday to Friday, right? Every day, Monday through Friday. Yes, sir. What time? Uh, 9 to 11 Central, but it airs on stations across the country. And they can also get it on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, all those sort of apps, too. Awesome, man. May the Lord bless you and keep you guys. Thank you, Josh, for being with us. It is an honor, and I pray that this Thank was a blessing to many of you. Shalom. Shalom.